We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Okay, ready? Think what you know, and it's about a time when you get yourself in a I want to know something she needs. I'll think about everyone you need. I hope that things are moving real now. I have you seen you wanting you. Hey. The tour ratio. Okay, though. The tour ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> What's the difference between a good MC and a great MC? I think great artists hit you with a peak and a valley and a peak and you see them challenging themselves and doing things that they hadn't done before. And whether it failed or whether it was successful or whatever, like for me, that's what makes it great. The experiments, you know, just like the breadth of idea and like, let me just try this. It's brave. Yeah, I feel like, well, I could, I could appreciate aspects of that description then I also feel like it would put me it would put somebody like like if somebody asked me is Black Thought a great MC I'd be like 100% the difference between good and great for me uh, might be like how well you're able to do what you're doing and then to a certain extent um, moments of transcendence you know how, how many of them are there like there's lots mm. of there's lots of artists who I, I really appreciate their work and they've had like long careers and I might be like, wow, there's like two records in there or something that are like on another level. These will always, you, you transcended everything in your time and your genre in these moments that are just like irrefutable. And then others are good songs that may or may not still sound good. 10 years later or whatever. So uh, I guess my point still stands where we're talking about peaks, right? And transcendence, what makes it great. Armand Hammer is a great underground New York MC duo, Billy Woods and Elucid. And it's amazing to chop it up with some great classic New York MCs. Let's go. It's Armand Hammer on Torre Show. I don't usually have people introduce themselves, but just so folks can understand whose voice they are listening to. Woods. I'm elusive. Now, what do you love about emceeing? I love being able to say what I want, how I want rhythmically. 
that brings me like a satisfaction, whether I was doing it alone or whether it was a room full of people, like I can still conjure that same feeling in myself. Uh, that's really, that was really important to me. That was really important. To, and, the, and the whole like being in a room full of people reacting to things that made me go crazy privately. That's a new, that's a new feeling. Mm. But yeah, that's why I'm at with it. I mean, a lot of writing, you don't get any props or at least not for a while. Absolutely. Right. But with, with emceeing, like it's a more direct, immediate cheer or silence silent. or whatever it is. I feel like I, I, I feel like most of the career has been silence. People are definitely listening, but it's all like, well, I'm not really sure how to take that. Well, your work is so deep and cerebral. You know, you don't do the punchlines that make me go, Oh, like I'm like getting <laughs> so many thoughts, so many thoughts. So many, I'm trying to take it in and I'm like, Oh my God. Oh, that was really smart. And here comes another thought. And Oh my God. Uh, straight overload. Yeah. Media overload for sure. Woods, what do you love about MC? I mean, there's, there's some, you, you have some. You I mean, there's some lines, for sure. You definitely. But yes, what you're saying is true. But then I think sometimes those crack out of there, like, uh, um, I don't know. There's so many of them now that's going to be hard for me. But like, um, I eat too much pussy to be a Rasa. Yeah, that always gets it. <laughs> Piece of pussy. Uh, of course, of course, of course. Awesome. Uh, for me, um, uh, the English language was my first love. So it was just an extension of that language, uh, writing words was first thing I was ever good at. And that's it. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it was just another facet of that. You know, I guess it's like, uh, if you're, if you're good at playing, if you really enjoy playing tennis and then somebody introduces you to squash, once you get the hang of it, you might be like, man, I messed with this too. It's got a racket. <laughs> Similar. It's got a ball. Similar. It's competitive. I know what you mean because I feel like I always had a facility with words. I liked putting sentences together. Math is hard, but coming up with a sentence, like, you know, even if I have to work at it, I'm like, I enjoy the working at it and trying to figure out, no, not that, this, you know, remove the adjective, make the verb stronger. And, you know, just led into what I do. And so I feel like similar to you, like, like a love of, of language led me. That's, that's what you're saying. Yeah, there's an alchemy in there, you know, whether it's making rap, writing rap or expository writing or fiction or something where you're trying to, um, you're trying to take things that you can sense or see or feel and transmute them into something that uh that other people can understand sometimes on multiple levels at once you know making somebody able to smell something that they can't smell yes see something that they can't see understand an idea that um that they have that may relate directly to you that they still you can boil it down to some other thing in there that other people can relate to I mean, when you can make people think something different or see something they hadn't seen before, mm -hmm. that's when your writing really like kind of matters. Yeah. You know, you're do you're not just like you know express it. You're like like changing their mind a little tiny bit. And sometimes in the process of writing something myself, you know, sometimes there's an idea that I might have been trying to get at for a while, 
and then you have a moment or it could be one line, it could be a whole song or whatever it is, where all of a sudden you're like, I, that's it. I captured this complex thing and I really got it 100%, you know, because sometimes you feel like I kind of got my hand around it, but then there are times when it's like everything in there is perfect the way it is. That's, mm. yeah, that's what, that's mm. the best feeling. You could be by yourself and read it and be like, or rhyme it, whatever, and you're like, ah, okay, that's it right there, you know? So professional MCs for about a decade, what do you hate about the job? That's a good question. Yeah. I don't think I hate any part of this job. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it <laughs> if I really hated it. But I, I, I'll, I'll keep thinking. I'll keep thinking. I mean, there's always carrying bags on tour. I guess that really sucks. You know what I mean? But, yeah. I mean, I love every part of writing except like filling out invoices, right? And all the little stuff you got to do to get. We can get. Paid. We can get managers for. Hold that. on, you know, like, like you like editing your writing. Oh, I do. Oh, that's do. you're in the right business then. I mean, that that, a, the, you know, like the the writing. Like the writing, you know, you're sort of throwing words on the page, right? But then the editing, you know, you're like a sculptor, like tinkering and like, was this word right? Take that out, put that in, try this, move this. Like, yeah, I like that. I like, I definitely like that, that part of it. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I could see, and it is absolutely necessary, you know, but um, that is sometimes the part. As far as, uh, as far as, um, as far as rapping, something about being a professional rapper I don't like. Uh, there are things that I, that I don't, you know, I think left to my own devices, I probably wouldn't perform a lot. Okay. But um, but like I feel like much. if you're going to do it, then you have to really do it. Um, I do enjoy it when I'm, when I'm in the moment. But if you ask me what I'd rather do, I'd rather be at my house, like, working on music or at the studio, you know, smoking weed, like, shooting traveling videos. and all of that stuff. Uh, I mean, and just anxiety around performing. Usually, especially right now, after having been on tour, that's faded away. But, yeah, when you haven't, you know, like our first show we did uh, after COVID um, was Central Park. No, it was Birmingham. Oh, yeah, it was the festival it's Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama. It's just more like I have to really do prep and be prepared to not feel a lot of anxiety. You know, that's just how I am, um, which is good because then you do well and then that goes away. Is it a normal ish anxiety or is it a, a sort of different level of state? I mean, I think anything public that's big, you know, for you to do a show, it's a big deal. So you might feel nervous and then you get on stage and you do your thing. Are you saying like a higher level? Well, it's different, I think, because honestly, like uh, when my friends get married, I'm known for giving like good, good wedding speech. I feel comfortable speaking in front of crowds and things like that. It's just a fact of um, having done the music. It, it, it's supposed to be in my mind. And that's something you also have to let go of. It's supposed to be a certain way. Whereas like when you get up and speak, you can in my mind, you can feed all. And that's really what you have to do in performing music too. Is part of it is being like, all right, I don't have to, everything doesn't yeah, have to be have to exactly like how it was when I recorded it or whatever. But, um, and you, you know, on some level you have to embrace the attitude that nobody knows I made a mistake till I say I made a mistake. You know what I mean? You know, there's definitely times 
when performers of all sorts, but you know, we're talking about rappers, make mistakes and the audience doesn't realize it. I was at a Nas show with somebody who had been his A&R years and, and, and this person was like, oh, he forgets verses all the, all time. the time. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And she's like, well, let's pay attention to the next song. And we get to like the second or third verse. And she's like, look. And when she pointed it out, then it was like, oh, and I don't even remember how he had flipped it, but it was like, I could see, like, if she had not pointed out, like, he has forgotten this verse, I wouldn't have realized it. But then she mm. pointed out, like, see, he was, he's covering that he, and it wasn't just Fire. like going into like, la, la, la. There was some way that he was covering it, that he had like redone another, like the first part of it or something. But the audience was like, yay. And I'm like, he just forgot half yeah. the verse and nobody noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pro shit, being able to mask those mistakes uh, on the fly, <laughs> you know, aside from holding the mic out to the crowd to finish your line, you know what I mean? He's got, he's got a bag it. of techniques, you know? You do the rhyme. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. 
This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Tell me about the creative process. Your music is very, especially your rhymes, very complex. Tell me about how you write. I'm curious to hear this too. This guy operates in secret. You don't write together? We haven't we have. over the course of our career, but. Not really. We talk and we'll talk on the phone. And sometimes I go to his house and work on something, but he really likes to, well, he'll tell you. Yeah, I kind of like to be by myself. I like to take my time. And it's not like a any kind of profound sort of profit process. Just listening to a beat for an hour. I like to give a beat an hour, just on loop. Just hear what it says. And uh, yeah, sometimes I hear what it says and I'm just going to just like unspool inside and whatever I can get in an hour, you know, that's usually like if nothing happens in an hour. I move on to the next beat or I just put it down for another time, you know. And uh, yeah, everything, these songs that we create just comes out of like our conversations. Usually for us, you know, sometimes it might be a particular phrase, food dish. Mm. Uh, you know, people we know, rappers we make fun of. Always music first. Is it sometimes write a rhyme and then figure out what to put it to? Rarely. Okay. Rarely. It's very Is rare. It pen so to paper or in the phone or? Pen to paper, phone, envelope. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, you do the I, phone a lot now, though. Yeah, I do the phone a lot now, for sure. But yeah, there's no... There's no uh, you know, preferred way. Some people talk about... We have a very different, not to interrupt, but our... Yeah. I think it's interesting because our pr- processes are very different, which is, I think, a lot of our differences are what keep the... Um, keep Make the group interesting and allow us to function together as something different than our solo work. Because um, for me, for example, I... Uh, I'm much more, probably a lot more, he just lets things come out or they don't, whereas I'm a lot more probably organized, plan. oh, I'm going to do this. And then sometimes I might be like, I tried to do it, and then after I do it, I didn't really like it, but I probably would still have made the attempt to write the thing or whatever. Um, I tend to go to the studio, whereas a lot of rappers now, at least demo things at home or do their whole process at home. I still go to the studio. Um, I still write all of my stuff on paper and notebooks. Um, And uh, how the ideas start is, like he said, it's a wide range of things. It could be a conversation. It could be one of us has a very specific concept. It could be we didn't even really talk about it and just started writing. It could be one word or a phrase. Um, and while I don't really write without a beat, sometimes I will write down an idea or a word or a string of phrases or something and be like, all right, I'm going to see when this is useful again, you know? Um, and yeah, I'd say that's my, that's my process. A lot of times, uh, I also smoke, (laughs) smoke a lot of trees and um, a lot While of times, writing, some, yeah, it's important. Well, I kind of do all day, so but, <laughs> it's important to the process. But definitely, man. when I'm when it's I'm writing, important. I mean, sometimes I haven't, but generally, yes. And I tend to do a lot of it for me. I think a lot of it happens 
in the wee hours of the morning. Sure. Or after it's, I've it's woken time. up or whatever. But yeah, I love definitely the like though. midnight to 4 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, that's rapper time. Hell yeah. So, so, so for one, it's completely okay to interrupt me because we're here to listen to you, not me. <laughs> um, but with the weed thing is interesting. Like I was a big smoker for 20 years or something and would definitely uh, smoke to write and edit and these sort of things. And then uh, about three years ago, I can't remember. It's two or three years ago. I said, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. You know, my age, da, 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 da. And I finally stopped. And, and I had been pushing and pulling within myself of like, I should stop. And I wasn't <laughs> unable to. Um, and, you know, I fully salute others who do it. I was addicted and I didn't like where I was with it. So I had to stop for me. Um, but I found the writing became a little bit more, like I was able to be more analytical with the writing. Because I think sometimes the weed will make you think in the moment of like what's right in front of you. And when I wasn't high, I was able to sort of like see a bigger picture a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think there was an earlier time when I was able to see a bigger picture because I was stoned. Yeah. But after a long time, it became like I'm, I'm, my, my aperture is very narrowed. And when I finally got that out of my life, I was able to have a little bit more of an outline, a little more structured, a little more like understanding of the whole thing. I feel that. But love, you, but you I, smoke all the time, so you don't know the difference. I mean, I like. I mean, I sometimes I switch it up. You know, sometimes just get blasted and then make something, and then listen to it sober. You right. Know, it's like it's nice to listen to it sober. Right. Or or flip it up. You know, like make it sober and then listen to it blasted. It, either or. And you so, hear it differently. Absolutely. All all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. It's nice to get these different perspectives. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think one of the one of the divides I see among MCs. Some who write to paper and some who don't write at all. And they're just hearing music and they're just forming the words. And they talk about it becomes easier to fit the words and flows together mm -hmm. without putting it on paper. Yes. What do you think about that? It's a nice, it's a nice practice. It's a nice technique. If you, if you have time, like Woods, you know, he goes to the studio. So you're kind of like operating on a clock. You're with someone else. It's uh, it's less intimate if I'm just in my room by myself mumbling and just hearing a flow and feeling a flow and then you record the flow and then you can sit with it and you listen to this dumb thing and then you can fill in words. So it's the flow first. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. Um, sometimes it's the word first. But yeah, it depends. Whatever the beat is saying, it's always different. It's always different, you know? I uh, Even when I'm thinking about like choruses, that's usually the, the way that I'll do it versus a verse. A verse, it might be the word first. But if I'm just thinking of a chorus or some sort of melody, then I'm listening and I'm going to mumble first. Mm -hmm. What about for you? Is the flow first? Funny, because when you say that, it makes me think of, we did this song rehearsed with Ornette, which I did the chorus for. And I remember on that one, I just kind of had this, there was this energy to it. I was just like, and then it just turned into uh, all that he's seen burnt a hole in his brain. Only came back to tell him about the fucking flames. And I just, that was one that I did like that. But, um, and you know, um, when I started doing rap music, uh, although he was younger than me, kind of my mentor was uh, this cat named Vortal. 
Okay. He's from Harlem. He was in a group called Cannibal Ox, a pretty seminal, uh-huh. Huge. Uh, seminal group. Absolutely. And um, so I met him before that. He was 16 years old and was probably the only person I knew on a personal level who I feel like was a was a rap savant. You know what I mean? Okay. Like he just uh he was just operating on a different level at that time and for his age and just the way that he approached rap music. Um and he really at a certain point he he just would build the verses in his mind. Over time, though, not just going in the studio, no. Like, by the time he got to the studio, he had the whole thing, but he would sit there, and I remember he'd always be like, oh, it's just, like, connecting this. It's like people say with memory puzzles. Like, um, you know, like somebody who's a professional memory expert, like, connects everything in a room. They connect it to something so that they have a sentence. Right. It's like the giraffe walked through the yellow... uh, Glass, right, and then they'd remember all the different things that were in their room because they connected those. Or the, the memory palace, yeah, right? Where they yeah. walk through a house, seeing the things in yeah, order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was something that he was six. Maybe you know, when he was sixteen, he might have still been writing everything. By the time he was like eighteen, um, he was. He, I remember him describing that to me before I'd ever heard anyone describe anything like that. Or by at that point. Biggie and Jay-Z, nobody had talked about that at all. Right. You know, it wasn't a selling point of rappers doing anything. And I remember just being so blown away. My mind doesn't work like that at all. You know, okay. not in the not, not you know. Uh, uh, and so for me, it's very much about sitting down, writing, rewriting. Um, and as I'm going, I'm rapping, seeing how it's going, and you learn better. Okay, I know that looked good how I wrote it, but it's not going to work. You know what I mean? And and, and and editing and changing things so that you can fit the flows and you can make everything work the way you want it to. Yeah, go, go I deep, gotta write it down. Go deeper on that because lyrics are dope. Lyrics are important. But the flow is what really, I mean, me as a hip-hop fan from the first time I heard Rapper's Delight, the flow is the thing the first time I'm listening to a song, um, you know, the, there's too many words, but I hear the flow. And if the flow is really hitting, then I'm like, I want to keep listening to this song and figure out what he or she is saying. And, you know, when you can become that other uh, rhythm, that other drum within the track. Within the drum, within the drum, yes. there's something really magical in that. Yes. You know, this, this repetition, this constant assonance, this like building and falling on itself and it keeps like you're supposed to get lost in that like that's really like the magic of like rap music and when you find the pocket Mm -hmm. like that's like the coolness of blackness that is like yo this is what i listen to this for and i couldn't do it i couldn't do it i could rap along with you but I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't listen to a track and find a pop. I would. I might find a very obvious one. But I. But like you know, the better rappers. You know, like you guys f- are finding patterns that the next man would. You know, somebody else. A one in a million person might write the lyrics you write, but not one in a billion would not find the and, rhythm. And that's what makes. I mean, for me, I think it's an individual characteristic with rappers you know that kind of separates who does what 
You know, it's a weird, a weird kind of shortcut to like transcendence, I think, and rap. And when you find that that pocket and able to stay in that pocket and just keep developing something else, it's really something else. You feel else, it. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know that when I say a shortcut to transcendence, when I say that, I mean, I feel it for myself. I mean, the times that I, I feel like that I may have like, there's a song I've done called No Grand Agenda, I think that kind of sums that up maybe uh, sums up that feeling for me when I wrote that. When I wrote that, I, I knew I was on to something like bigger than I thought myself at that time or previous works that I had done. If I put them up next to each other, like, okay, this is in a, a whole new space other than this other thing. You know what I mean? It was just like that that flow and the spirit in that flow. It just, it was different. It was different. Yeah, amazing, you know? amazing song. And definitely... Um, one of your it's my tracks favorite that entered a, um, that enters a, the realm of a uh, trying to. I, it's funny because I said the word for it the other day, and now of course I'm blanking on it. But uh, you know, I just think it has a. Uh, it's a mon- There's a mantra within it, and a and a and a cycling that's. Um, that's really incredible, both musically and conceptually, in terms of how it connects with what the song is actually saying. Um, that's really something you have to like listen to it and become familiar with to really see. Wait, how do you? I'm not on the song. I'm just I'm observing. saying, but how does one connect the flow <laughs> with the meaning of the song? I I feel like if you listen to it. Like if we played right now, then it would be easier for me to point out. But um, uh, the song, the way it's written, has a cyclical aspect to it. Okay. I feel like this is my interpretation as a person who had no role in creating the song. At the same time, the ideas with... um, So the performance goes between this sort of mantra of a chorus into these other ideas and folds it one into the other without stopping. So it's, it's a spinning wheel. Within the inside um, of a wheel. Inside of the <laughs> wheel is the conceptual ideas about life, um, personhood, uh, freedom and um, predestination. Um, uh, capitalism, life, death, that are all circling inside of that. And so the form and function mirror each other in a way that I find really interesting. Okay. Um, Until the song, like a wheel that's spinning and just spins off of like a pottery wheel or something at the end, Um, there's a breakdown and then that breakdown is mirrored in the, and the lyrics. It's really, really, really phenomenal song. And one of the things that if somebody asked me, I'd be like, uh, I would point to as to him as an artist where I'd be like, show me an artist who can make, I don't know, a song like Wishing Bad or a song. What does eating healthy mean to you? 
Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamin a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. On like um, uh, war stories or King Tubby can deliver those sort of verses and then can also come over here and do things in this chamber um, or some of the stuff from Small Bills or another personal favorite of mine, a solo song that he has called Hisop, which really just are in wholly different chambers and doing different things all in an extremely high level of effectiveness, you know. I appreciate art where the, uh, be it visual or sonic, whatever, where the artist is clearly more intelligent or at least bringing much more thought to bear than the audience is, right? Like we all know there's art that's little more popcorn easily consumed and then there's art that's like okay I'm 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 going to school in reading this book or or listening to this music whatever do you think about being over people's heads and you know just just what that does to the audience and the career when it's like you know this is work listening to these guys you know what I mean well I think to me it was always my personal goal when I'm doing stuff is I mean first of all I want to do something that I would think is great and that has some sort of uh I wanted looking to find those moments of transcendence that we were talking about which are difficult because you know you're a human being how often is it how often is it perfect yeah you know what I mean a lot of times it could be very good or just good or but like looking for those transcendent moments um when i'm doing it and then beyond that is the idea that i don't want i try to make it where you could listen to something and really appreciate it and there might be aspects to that that you wouldn't understand or layers to some of the things that are going on that even if you didn't understand you would be like oh this is dope on this level and then maybe at some later point you grow to have some you learn about some other thing or you find out, I don't like to, I don't want to make ref, a lot of times like a reference. Um, maybe it could be something where you could take it on its surface value of one thing and then later you might be 
introduced to like I don't know whatever. You want me Could to be learn? anything from as different as Deleuze and Guattari to like uh, fucking um, Hagar the Horrible cartoons and Andy Cap, you know, <laughs> things I grew up with that are funny. So it's like, uh, uh, but you don't want it to be all but there I want, for like, me. You, ha- you don't have to see that to get it. I want it to be something that there are other layers and levels within it, but you could appreciate it even if you're not seeing all of them immediately. Because I think that that's one of the things where, you know, you have great art in my life sometimes where as I've grown as a person, it's new aspects to it are revealed to me. Right. That's new that's things what you, come yeah, to you. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I've always enjoyed this film. I never knew that Spike Lee was making a homage right then to um, Night of the Hunter. Oh, yeah. With the tattoos like, on the hands or whatever, sure. whatever. And I could appreciate that scene in Do the Right Thing um, with the love and hate. And then later I'm just watching some old black and white movie and I see this whole scene of this great movie and, um, and, you, and you see that connection and it adds some type of layer. But it wasn't necessary for me to have seen it to appreciate the other thing, you know. I mean, the film, the film analogy is interesting because... I would imagine, I would think of you guys like, I, I don't even know who I would call out, but like some amazing indie filmmaker who's going to make some film that like film schools will like study for like 10 years, 100 years, whatever. But, you know, like only a thousand people are going to go see it or whatever, you know, and you're living in a world where, you know, let's say Drake, not to pick on him in specific, but like. Somebody like that is making music that is fine. You can pick right. out of it. So. <laughs> it's making basically nursery rhymes compared to what you're doing. You know, you're doing physics and he's doing nursery rhymes. And yet, you know, he's having X success and fame, whatever, but just like the monetary resource. You could keep it in the same in the same area and just say he's making Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's movies. Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not even, not even. But I yeah. like watching them on planes. <laughs> you know, it's cool. It's not, it's not, it's not hurting anybody. No, but I mean, I wonder how you feel about like, damn, like we have done all this study, we've brought all this complex thought to bear, and you know, this is our outcome, and this guy is la 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 la. And I'm too sexy for my shirt. And like people flip out like, are you fucking kidding me? Like I would be pissed off. That's been for our whole life. No, I know. But I would would be pissed off. I mean, there's different ways that I am pissed off about like Joe Rogan's a fucking idiot. And like, why are there a million people listening to his show? And I get, you know, 20,000 or whatever the fuck it is. Like, so how just how is that land for you of like, you know, you are you're you are trying to get people to listen you are fucking sure. bringing your your spirit and your soul and your reading and everything to bear and you're getting whatever you're getting and fucking you know an idiot is getting way more i don't know it's it's uh i i definitely have felt those feelings i've been in 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 concert with people who've groups of people who felt those feelings those people aren't doing what we were doing or what I'm doing right now. They quit. You know, that kind of thing burns you up. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes it makes you feel smaller than who you actually are. Mm -hmm. And for me, again, this is always like a personal thing. It's never, I never made music for 
anyone else. This is for my pleasure. This is for me to get my shit off. And always keeping that in mind, like, yeah, <laughs> I've made hella sacrifices to make music that no one has heard. But again, it's personal, so it makes me feel good. So I'll do what I can on this other side to like make a way so that I can be an MC. And then at a certain point, uh, I started to see growth in terms of like, oh, I'm putting out a product, oh, it's getting this sort of attention. Put out another project, oh, they have more fans here. Or I'm putting out this project and there's a new situation. Or just this constant sort of like working at the craft and, and seeing or reaping a sort of reward, no matter how small it may be. It just kind of kept my head in the game. And I can still laugh at those bum-ass rappers, of course, but it's just like I'm preoccupied with like what I want to do and how I had this new technique and how I had this new style. And I found this new record that no one has ever sampled before, I'm sure. You know what I mean? It's, just, it's a personal, it's really a personal joy that's like kept my head in the game. My mother, um, when I was a little kid, uh, I knew very young that I wanted to be a writer, um, which was partially my mother's doing, I suppose. But I remember a very young age, she said, um, I don't know why this is her example, but she said, Edgar Allan Poe died penniless in a gutter. She said, so I think her whole point was more about to do art, you, which was something that I took to heart, was that to do art, you can't expect that you're going to get paid or become wealthy to do great art. And part of her, she's a very pragmatic person. So then when I was older, that turned into, so here's why you need to, you know, do these other things or this is why you need to get a regular job or go to graduate school or whatever. Um, um, and for me, I guess from a young age, then I always had the expectation that uh, the goal was to make something, you know, incredible, like, the things that uh, that I felt strongly about when I was a kid, that's what I wanted to do. Like, um, I remember uh, I'd read, you know, my mother was a professor, um, and I read uh, Richard Wright from a pretty young age, and I really liked his writing. I liked a lot. Native of son, writing. black boy, both of them. Both of them, you know. And, um, and then uh, probably, I was probably like 10, or 11. no, I was probably eleven, and I read uh, my first Baldwin. That's James Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. James Baldwin. That's James Baldwin. Oh, <laughs> that's James Baldwin. so my mother gave me um, Sonny's Blues, mm -hmm. which she was teaching in her class. This is still at University of Zimbabwe. She's Jamaican, um, but she was teaching at the University of Zimbabwe. We were living there. And she brought a Xerox copy of Sunny's Blues and gave it to me and said for me to read it, which she would do a lot. And then, what's your opinion of it or whatever? Or sometimes books I really didn't want to read, she would like pay you to read. How much? I mean, <laughs> this is Zimbabwean dollars a long time ago, five or ten dollars, which was a lot. But sometimes I couldn't do it. We I read a lot, and it would be like, man, I got to get back to this Stephen King book. Man. Uh, <laughs> Nothing the mayor, wrong with that. Or like. Uh, the one I like to laugh about is Canterbury Tales, which okay. my mother tried to pay me so much money to read. And I was like, this is one of the worst books that's ever been written. But she didn't have to pay you to read Native Son. No, 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 no. 
Those were because she'd I, give you something, and then she'd ask you if you're reading it, and if she said no, and it was something she wanted you to read, then she would try and. Yo, that is um, one of the um, one of the books that I remember, like where I was, and like when he when he strangles her accidentally, and I remember my jaw dropping open, <laughs> like, yo, this is crazy. I thought, I thought, I thought it was so good, and then as soon as I read Baldwin's writing. I was just like, wow, this is a different, this is a different level. Yeah. And it's like a separate door opened in the side of your mind and you walked into new rooms that you didn't even know were there. Um, when he's talking about his father and how harsh his father was. Which one? We're talking about Sonny's Blues? Uh, well, not in that one. I'm really talking so about like so in the long. essays. Oh, okay. He talked about his dad and how hard his dad was on him and his dad was... Was, Who may not have been his father. I mean, it's a, it's a mess. It his does whole, seem like that may not have actually been his father, which may have been the source of some of the some tension. Of that, some of that, yeah. But also, clearly, this man didn't like him because he... It's funny, because we were just talking about some black family. Right, no doubt. No doubt <laughs> that he thought or knew he was gay, right? I mean, Maybe that, too. Like... And Baldwin's looking down at him because he's like, I'm, I'm a teenager, I know I'm smarter than you. Right, right. It's uh, it, that experience was 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 really, those experiences were really big for me. Or um, I remember, you know, I grew up reading a lot of uh, just. We were living in a country that just had a revolution against white supremacy. My father is like a Marxist theorist and stuff, and so I grew up with all of this sort of African literature that I read, whether political or not political was this a fit into a particular mold of post-colonialism and my mother so this guy Dembuzo Marichero was a student at the University of Zimbabwe it's kind of he was out of his mind but um an incredible <laughs> electric talent he ended up going to Oxford and then he burned his dorm room down in Oxford ended up homeless on the streets in Oxford came back to Zimbabwe eventually died very young um but uh his work was, like, when I first read it, I was like, this is wrong, you know what I mean? Because it was, like, this vision of post-colonial Africa confronting things that were happening in the Zimbabwe that I was growing up in that were, um, instead of talking about colonialism and white oppression, he was just sort of talking about the, the state, uh, just... The reality of what was there instead of what you'd been seeing for so long. And so to me, growing up, especially as somebody who's, um, my father was in the government and all these things, I had these ideas of black liberation that I thought were really being realized. And to read this thing, it was almost like blasphemous, you know, because I didn't grow up with religion. Like, if anything, like politics and literature, the religion in my home and the way he wrote was just like, laying waste to all of these things that I thought were true. And, um, yeah, those experiences, man, that where later you're like, oh, man, when I read that, I couldn't read other things without seeing that that door had been opened. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, just wanting to recreate those sort of experiences. And I guess I always, uh, I always was prepared to, like, not make any money or whatever. And there was the idea, again, probably because of how I grew up, that like, oh, well, if you do something great enough, 
after you're gone, then people will be like, you know, it's too late. <laughs> the lore of immortality. I can't wait. I mean? The lore of immortality definitely drew me to writing in that if you do it right, you can look back and say, okay, I did this, I did this, I did this. Like, you know, I look back, I have, I've done like six or seven books. So like, what did I do five years ago, three years ago? Like, oh, look, it's sitting on the shelf. Other people have other jobs and there may not be a long-term record of what, what did you, what did I do five years ago? Like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's up in smoke. It does not exist in a physical or tangible way that can be accessed. And I was attracted to that, that there would be something that existed, even like this, like five years from now, this will exist and people will continue to consume it. And like, what did I do in 20? Oh yeah. I interviewed them. I wrote this da, 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 and it's still just sitting there. So wait, for the folks who don't. We sampled Audrey, not to interrupt, yeah, we please. sampled no, Audrey Lord. By all means. In a random interview on uh, a SUNY, some woman was interviewing her in some SUNY book thing and put it in uh, this song called Charms. And every time I perform it, I'm like, we're letting that yes. thing run because it's a really powerful yeah. thing that she said. But she was just having a conversation in an interview with a woman who. Uh, knew her and knew her work somewhat and they were, you know, yeah. and so it's funny to think like that it's not like an excerpt from her book or something but it's something that just happened in yeah. conversation, less formal than this one, you know yeah. um, well, I hope you don't think it's this still is formal out there. <laughs> it's, still, it's still out there you know, and can still be something that affects people long after you're gone Hell yeah. uh, it just matters, it's interesting to me so for the folks who don't know, um, just give me the origin story of this group. How did this group begin? Um, well, his short, rapping, short really. version or the long version. Yeah, I think I had been, um, I've been booked to perform at this festival. It's called Yule Prague. A uh, guy by the name of Uncommon NASA was heading up Yule Prague Festival just Me and him did it together. Words along, we, you know, they did two that. labels did it together, but he was the one who had more of an ear to just all corners of the internet and everything that was going on. Um, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, at the time I had just started putting music out online. This might have been '09, maybe 2010. Did the show, met Woods, talked after the show. He invited me to the studio. We started working, did a song. That was it. One From song. There. One song. My man, that's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Well, let me, let me add on as the person who, because I saw the, I was waiting for the, I didn't know any, anything really about the guy. Paul, NASA, the guy, he was like, he's good, and we're going to have him headline. I was like, it's kind of funny he's a headliner because I haven't heard of him, but whatever. <laughs> Whatever, you know? No, There's so many real. aspects to putting this thing together. I'm like, you do your job. I try to stick in the phase of, if that's your job, you do your job. I'll do my job, and let's see how it all works out. And he said, this guy is going to be good as a headliner. And um, I remember uh, I watched his set, and I was like, wow, this is, this is, this is, this is crazy. He has a crazy voice. Songs and meet, music and beats are different. Um there were like four black women there just to see you, which I was like, man, that's, that's true a, doing something right. <laughs> um, and so after the his set, I went backstage and was like, that was really great. Um, and I would love to do something with you. And um, 
And then we did, I was working on what would turn out to be a pretty important record for me, and he did a feature on it. And I was like, wow, uh, that that's an incredible, incredible verse. And my mom had always been like, surround yourself with people that are better than you at things, and then you'll get better. Um, and I was like, this guy's really good. So I was like, let's, do you want to do another? So we did another song on the record. And then I was like, let's make a record. Let's make an album. I remember I thought about it because I was like, let me make sure I have a good pitch because I really feel like this guy is great. Like, he's going to do some things. And, and if we were doing things together, it could really be something crazy. I mean, most MCs are solo artists. So, I mean, you know, obviously there's, a, there's an incredible history of duos without a doubt but like most mcs go solo so that's why i wanted to have a good pitch because i was like i gotta sell them on this right you know and it's definitely stepping out there to be like let's do a whole thing you don't know if somebody's gonna be like so anyway i don't know what his whole thought process was in saying yes but that was my thought process in coming up with the idea well in saying yes uh i knew that when he started playing me records from it was the record history will absolve me uh, and I was blown away by what I had heard. I was familiar with the name Billy Woods, uh, New York City rap underground sort of thing, as I'm trying to garner some sort of name. So I'm familiar with this person, but I never really actually paid attention to their music. And they were in the studio, and this one song, Pompeii, and I was just floored. It was, it was so hard, just... The production by Willie Green. Shout out Willie Green. Yeah. And then just how Woods <laughs> just attacked it. It was just, I had never really heard this sort of like high level rap delivered in this sort of like very visceral, aggressive way that you, the same feeling that you might get when you hear like whatever, like gangster rap. Mm. You're in that same sort of like just right in the chest feeling. But when you listen to what he's saying, and he's talking about war criminals. And I was just like, what? what is this shit? And uh, yeah, I immediately was like, all right, so I should just make records with this person. In the same way, the steel sharpened steel. You know, you, just, you should be playing what basketball or whatever you're doing. Sure. Like, you should be around people that are actually better than you because you will learn. <laughs> the learning curve is way shorter, you know? And I felt that immediately. So, of course, it was, it was a yes. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, New York obviously was the Mecca. It is obviously the birthplace. There's some great MCs from New York now, but it's not what it was. Um, what do you think's going on with New York City? See, that's tough because I think if you're talking about, I think if you're talking about mainstream music, then that's always there's always a bunch of things surrounding that, especially now that have it's not really comparable to when we're talking about the early days of hip hop. As far as, to be totally honest to me, as far as the, um, the breadth of the sort of independent quasi underground scene, because some of these people are not even, some of these people are doing very well. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? It's right. not like, that. it's deals. not like they're starving. Sure. And, um, some people are <laughs> not directly from New York city, right. but their situations, their aesthetic, um, yeah. where yeah. they came to get their vibe are all here. So you could run across a range of things from somebody like, um, West side gun and what he's doing, um, that they're from Buffalo. Okay. Um, which is where I was conceived. 
They're from Buffalo, uh, <laughs> New York, but their sound, they would tell you New York comes from that from that energy. They're huge right now. Somebody like Mock Hami, who's from Jersey, who his style is is wild original, but he's he's from that rock marciano um from long island but how many great new york rappers were really from long island so many. all, all so of them many. you know Absolutely. mf doom yeah. de la soul rakim public so enemy yep. epmd so yes. boom we're already we're then you have somebody like quelle chris who is kind of from the mid detroit i feel like he might also be from ohio in some way or mm. i don't know but he's from the Midwest to St. maybe St. Louis. But uh I feel like his career started in Detroit, kind of doing stuff with Danny Brown, but really blossomed into what's become when he was in New York, even though now he's left again. Um somebody like uh the Alchemist collaborated with on Haram. He's from LA, but um I mean, I'm sure he'd be the first to tell you that some some aspect of his career, important aspects of his career were forged in New York City, working with Mob Deep, with uh-huh. Queens rappers running around Midtown selling beats to people in studios. You know, um, he lived in New York for for a long time, and so sometimes, and then even people like uh, Mike, yeah, the new uh, generation, the Slums, the Slums Collective, Slums Collective, Mike. Seafood's not o- from New York, but Eagle. he came to New York to cook it up. Oh, two different people. Open Mike no, Eagle no, open Mike and Eagle Mike are, are two different. Mike. Mike. It's M-I-K-E. Yeah. All caps. Yeah, he's I think uh, the I brothers from the Bronx. When we talk about pocket earlier. Mike. Always in his pocket. Always. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, amazing talent flow. Yeah. Sure. Young kid. These are young kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kai Solo. Um, uh... Uh, and I'm even leaving out some some people. Uh, Navy Blue, no, he's from LA. That's true. He just lives here. I can't even I can't even put that on him. He's he's from LA, and it, it's 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 more that type of vibe. But um, there's a I, I feel like there's there is very much a moment. There's a lot of stuff bubbling, um, and I see I go out and see some of the young people that are moving through the scene. Fat Boy Sharif. Um, um, and then other people who are veterans who've been here for a while who are mentoring some of those people. So people like Gang, um, you know, uh, where I still feel like, I mean, Dove is from upstate New York. I still feel like uh, there is a, this might even, honestly, this very, might even be a moment. It's very thriving. This might even New be York a City thriving moment for New York. There's a lot in, happening. Independent, uh-huh. underground hip hop, even if, it's not always being stamped that way. The but number happening. of things that I could say that are coming out of here or connected to here in some way is significant. Mm-hmm. And I know that I, I already know that. So I I'm wrong. New York is hot right now. Underground New York is. is, is the hot, hot implies that everybody knows about right. it. Not necessarily that you think it's thriving. It's a, it's a thriving. It's thriving. Yes. Okay. The it's a broad, hot, it's a broad happening scene. Even if. One person doesn't know about it. You know about it, mm-hmm. and you. I mean, oh, you just named a ton of people. People put me onto it. People put me. I'm. I'm. Like I said, I'm. I'm under a rock a lot of times. He'll tell me about people, and then I'm like, yeah. or you do shows, and somebody else is performing at Absolutely. the show, and you're like, wow, this is crazy. Um, and then again, seeing younger people creating, 
because I've been, I'm older than him, I've been around for a while, and then just seeing a new scene, new crop of artists come up and the things that they're doing, it's really, it's really interesting. As far as on a wider level of what everybody's seeing, I feel like that's, that's different. That's, that's different. different. It's, it's so data driven. It's yeah. Atlanta. It's. I mean, it's part. Snaps. It's, it's interesting dances. because, you know, New York has a global cachet. Wherever you go, there people have an opinion about New York. Sure. Mm-hmm. You might look down on it. You probably look up to it. You know, it's faster, it's harder, it's cooler, whatever. I feel like there was an era of hip hop when, as soon as you listen to somebody, you knew where they were from. And that has gone away, that people are not broadcasting where they're from, either in the style or in the references or the things they're saying. You know, the, you know when Chuck D talked about uh, Black America CNN, it wasn't just news. It was also in Houston, they're into candy paint. In mm-hmm. Oakland, they're into this. In Jersey, they're into that. You know, and- Doesn't that mirror our society? The internet- yeah, interactivity, flattening, flattening everything. Oh you know? man, don't bring yeah. Thomas Friedman into it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but yeah. but I think you're right. You're right. You're right that it flattens yeah, the culture. Are, listen, so one thing I talked to him about was when I was coming up, it was like to like, oh, you like hip hop, <laughs> or if you like, well, what do you? You had to prove it. Yeah, sure. you had to be like, oh, I wear these hip hop clothes. Sure, I listened to these. People would come and be like, oh, so you like this record, but did you listen to the first Gangstar record or not? Like the danger of being a poser in anything. And there was this like gatekeeping. Sure. Things are separate. Nowadays, people grow up on. So like back in the day, if somebody said, oh, what type of music do you like? And somebody was like, I like everything. I'd Mm. be like, "Uh, you kind of comes off as like, everybody says that. You might not even like music or, or you're faking. Or if you're like, oh, I'm into hip hop, but I'm also into all these other things. You'd be like, all right, all right that's kind of suspect. Now that is the, that's the norm, norm that's for the like norm. young people to just be like iPod Shuffle Life. Shuffle Life. To, they'll be listening to your music, and one of their other favorite artists is Charlie XCX, <laughs> and one of the other favorite artists <laughs> yeah. is Death Grips, yep. and one of the other favorite artists is. Well, there was gatekeepers before. We listened to music through first radio, and then MTV. And there was a lane. And in the breakdown of the gatekeepers, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's shuffle life. Kids right? growing up right? on- Even say iPod, right? You're dating yourself, right? Totally. But like phone. I wanted to say Napster. That's when it all really shifted, you know? I was the, I was a Napster kid. You know? And then like, you could sample everything. Everything. You didn't have to pay 12 to $15 to check somebody out. Totally. And like, yeah. I, I mean, my uh, playlist when I go running, Lil Wayne- Radiohead, um, you know, maybe some uh, old disco song that's like, you know, high uh, BPMs, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's, it's you know, there's a broad array of things that you might like. You know, it's mostly hip hop because hip hop likes to punch you in the face sure. and make you want to work out. But like, there's some Radiohead joints that slap. There's some fucking soul music that go a funk that like, you know, makes you want to run faster. Um, and I think everybody could, sort of has a a mishmash. But if you love hip hop, this is your culture, and it's different. I mean, part of what you're saying this is it's different than just the music. It's a mindset. It's a style. It's a lifestyle. But not n- now. 
like all things, everything's constantly changing. And now the way people, like the old, for better or worse, there were some obviously stupid and ridiculous things about that because it used to be like, not only even within hip hop, it was like, oh, you listen to that type of hip hop? Mm-hmm. All right, that's how, you know, um, <laughs> that's not cool. This is this is where, whereas now people are more open to all of these different things. And a lot of it is cool, you know, and there's that aspect of which people can just be like, hey, I heard the song, I got into it, I came to the show. Whereas back in the day, you would be at the show, like I, you would be at the show and somebody would be like, you're not even dressed right to be at this show and be a fan of this music. You know what I mean? It was Your a lot of really, doesn't have enough tags. It on was it. a lot of really, really. Um, We're in shoes from last some of year. It, right? Some of it was kind of ridiculous. Um, it was ridiculous. Of course, in that there's a loss of some aspect of, even though it's imagined and not real, some imagined level of purity to what you're doing and to the ideas behind it, you know? Let me, let me, I'm gonna ask you two questions that I ask everybody. Um, what's the difference between a good MC and a great MC? I think good MCs just kind of coast on maybe their natural talent. And they just kind of just make the same thing. If you look at them within a five-year span, or they just kind of done the same thing very well, but very just kind of just high level, no peaks, no that. I think great artists hit you with a peak and a valley and a peak, and you see them challenging themselves and doing things that they hadn't done before. And whether it failed or whether it was successful or whatever, like for me, that's what makes it great, the experiments. You know, just like the breadth of idea and like, let me just try this. It's brave. Uh, yeah, for me, maybe. Immediate reaction. Yeah, I feel like, well, I could I could appreciate aspects of that description. Then I also feel like it would put me, it would put somebody like, like if somebody asked me, is Black Thought a great MC? I'd be like 100%. Black Thought has very much found a thing that he was doing and worked at just perfecting that carving <laughs> and that was sure. you know he 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 didn't but he is a great artist he's a great mc at the same time so i guess to me maybe it would be more of um the difference between good and great for me uh might be like how well you're able to do what you're doing and then to a certain extent um Moments of transcendence, you know, how how many of them are there? Like, there's lots mm. of there's lots of artists who I I really appreciate their work, and they've had like long careers, and I might be like, wow, there's like two records in there or something that are like on another level. These will always there. You, you transcended everything in your time in your genre in these moments that are just like irrefutable. And then others are good songs that may or may not still sound good 10 years later or whatever. Um, what stands the test of time, you know? So uh, I guess my point still stands where we're talking about peaks, right? And transcendence, what makes it great. Yeah, but I, I just, it's tough because 
Yeah, then it even brings the question, I'm questioning my own thoughts about it because I'm like, if somebody asks me if Black Thought is a great MC, 100%. Um, but he doesn't have any, I don't think, any solo records. No. It's, a, it's like same yeah. thing with Andre 3000. It's hard to classify these kind of guys that have- But Andre 3000 is a- Okay, and then we could even look at them as two very different artists because Andre 3000 consistently pushed into new boundaries for himself until at least he, he stopped doing that. For sure, for and sure. Black Thought whittled away at what Michelangelo David statue mm -hmm. for his whole career. You know, and so in that comes what is it, what is more compelling to you for an artist? And I would have to say that for me, it would be Andre 3000 um, because I feel like there's more, he, he, there was a greater exploration um, into humanity. And so let me, I, I like the analogies you made in breaking down their careers. So I want to see if I can put two more MCs in there and see what sure. you say Jay Z and Jay Electronica. I mean, for me, it's not not a versus, but you're like this one is like you know like whittling down an amazing statue. This one was you know what a, you know what I mean. One of them to me is, um, I guess, one of them to me is maybe trying to find a, a, a really a really good analogy for this. Um, J Electronica to me is uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of potential that was never necessarily fulfilled. Wow. He's a really good artist. Wow, but, um, I can't believe you said he's unfulfilled potential. Sure. I, my personal opinion, I mean, he's a rich man. He doesn't have to care what I say. Uh, my personal opinion, his 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 best and most thought-provoking work remains the stuff that he was doing at the very beginning, like the spotless mind stuff. And I'm not saying that as somebody who can't adapt to where artists are going. I just don't think he went a lot of places after that. Um, Exhibit C, to some people, I think, is the beginning of them seeing him and the peak of what he's done, whereas to me it was a really a really good song, um, but he has a bunch of stuff from earlier on that I would put higher than that. And then uh, kind of opted out of the whole, yeah. of the whole situation to some extent that, um, you know, I also am loathe to give somebody, you don't have to play, but I can't give you points for not playing. You know what I mean? <laughs> what about Hove? Uh, Jay-Z is a person who maximized every talent that he had. Sure. So to a certain extent, these are two completely complete opposites. Jay Electronica had the ability to be a greater MC artist over the course of his career than Jay-Z did from where they started from. He did not do so to date, and it does not appear that he will. He had, at a younger age, he had more more polish, more things to say, and greater perspective, and um, then Jay -Z and maybe a more original style than Jay Z yeah. at the beginning. But Jay Z, Jay Z maximized everything that he had. Is there? Can we do a top five all time? Can we do that? Look, he's like rolling his eyes, like, damn, nigga, really? That shit. This is what this is hip hop. This is what we do. I mean, 
I'm all, I'm, I'm all here for hypothetical questions. It's the story of my life, but I usually am the person irritating people with them, so I can't say no. I'll certainly answer any hypothetical question. The top five MCs all time. Mm. Are we going to put Doom and Ghost up there? I mean, for just, me, it, MF Doom is going to be yeah. in it. I just yeah. It's yeah. hard for me to see how you can look at a guy who started. I was in, I had just come back to this country. Peach Fuzz came out like a year later or whatever. And that song was so emblematic of a specific time. Then they go on to even make another record after that. Then he reinvents every, this is a guy who was touring, opening for Dela and other people like that to reinvent himself so many times and to have, mm-hmm. uh, although I think his late career was spottier, so many moments of transcendence um, from KMD onwards. Uh, there were very few things that I felt that he couldn't do, an ability to uh, to put so much, so many layers at his best, so many layers of the black experience and the human experience um, and tragedy into packages that often were comedic. Um, so Doom number like, one. Can't, I'm just going to give you a top just, five. Just, not okay, so not no rankings. Okay, fair, fair, fair. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like, you know, Chuck D had a big influence on wow. my on me as a young person. Those were the first records yeah. I got, but I, I can't put him in there. Um, although personally it means a lot to me. I probably... Uh, I'm going to add three stacks. Yep. Three, yeah. Andre 3000. Yeah, yeah, big, big influence. I mean, I still remember the first thing I ever really latched onto was the player's ball. The video came Whoosh. on VT. <laughs> the video came on VT. <laughs> Joe Clint and I was VT. like, oh, VT. shit. They were like playing pool and just everything was so laid back about it. And cool I was like, yo. Go. And then that's when, because when the first single, I think, was Southern Playalistic, and I liked it, but it was Player's Ball that made me be like, all right, I'm going to go buy this cassette. These guys are um, well, who and, else? And the, and the fearlessness of constantly reinventing themselves and by extent himself. I mean, Ghostface had a had a had a had a peak in an era that was over overshadowed to some extent by how much artists were selling in those days. Mm-hmm. But I really feel like um starting with Cuban Links and what he brought to that record, which is a classic record, Iron Man. Overlooked in the time, still a great record today. Mm-hmm. Supreme clientele. Then the mixtape stuff that mixtape. didn't come out. And what mixtape. Bulletproof Wallets would have been if yes. songs like The Sun and Had The Watch cleared. were not removed. Totally. Kind of puts me in the way of feeling like that's like a, a, a bunch of really good records and three involvement in not even including Wu-Tang, rec, full Wu-Tang records, involvement in like three, Incredible. maybe Incredible. three and a half classic it's, records. It's, it's funny for you to call it Ghost because he started off like, I'm not going to show you my face. Right. Well, right. Doom too. And then, right, right. right. Well, so 100% Doom, of course. Here I go. Right. Um, Doom is also Zimbabwean. Oh, wow. And Caribbean, so. Oh, well, there, <laughs> who else? <laughs> we got one more. Hold on, we only have we only have Same. three, right? Same. Doom three on there right now. Face. Who said Doom three K? I didn't say face, although he is great. Ghost face. Ghost face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, right? Ghost, Doom, Andre. Seems crazy not there. to include Nas for obvious reasons. Sure. Although, um, yeah, it seems it seems crazy. I'm really I'm really really trying to think right now. That we're just talking career. about actual 
We're talking about actual rappers. Incredible MC. Um, no. It's- yes. In- incredible, mm-hmm. incredible MC. Mm-hmm. And it's tough for me. It probably wouldn't be right for me to leave him out. And it's funny because I feel like the thing about about uh, the thing about Jay Z is I just I, I I think he's he has maximized everything he's done. He's a great artist. Obviously, he's had a phenomenal career. He's not in your top five. I just feel like not enough of the records. They're all a lot of them are still good, but I feel like not a lot of them. Reward, consistent revisiting, you know, and and then part of me is like, ah, if I wanted to put somebody, part of me feels like if I'm going to throw a dark horse in there, um, I kind of, for me, feel like Breezley Bruin from a mm. rap group, the Juggernauts, was uh, one of the most original rappers who ever existed. And if life had gone, he's still out there, he does his thing, but he his day job and his kids kind of took precedence over being an indie rapper. Um, But uh, at his best, the songs that he was making, like um, Lucifer, and were so ahead of their time, so incredibly well-written. And then when you talk about flow and style, it's like... Well, if we're going to talk talk a dark horse, then I'm going to put Micah Nine in there because he's done things with like rhythm I've never heard any rapper do before or even after. And like everyone raps fast now, but no one does it like Mike and I. When we talk about pocket, when we talk about just like, he's the best, he's the best. No no father to his style, I can dig that. I can dig that. Last thing, and I I ask everybody this too, um, what does being black mean to you and where does it show up in the work? Uh, speaking for myself, I guess, um, man, that's a complicated question that I am happy to answer and won't hopefully won't take too long. Um, (laughs) I think that for me, that's always an interesting question because, uh, from a young age, I had the opportunity or whatever, where I was black in a lot of different places and saw that it means different things in different places. And, um, I mean, and you're so, truly diasporic in a way most African-Americans are not. Yeah. So, you know, it was like um, when I got to Zimbabwe, the fact that my mother was a fair, fairer-skinned woman from Jamaica um, really made people ask me, are you colored? Which is like, a, if you're not familiar with Mixed? apartheid. Is that what that means? Yeah, the idea of any sort of, because you're in Africa, so any sort of racial admixture, at least in Southern African class and social structure colored is a often a separate category right. specifically in south africa right. but the system wasn't that different in rhodesia um and uh also people being like if you couldn't speak the language oh the shona language then it was kind of like okay that's you're kind of on the outside to a certain extent um and you know then in jamaica blackness is a totally different totally different thing in the way that people measure it look at it and um can have a lot more to do with your culture the way you speak than it does to anything to do with the color of your skin sure like you'll see a person who to my eyes is a white person walking around and everybody is oblivious to this fact um and would argue with you about it 
Um, and then, of course, in America, when I came back here and people are like, oh, you're African. This is, and I was born here, you know? And so, but it was still like, this is what it means to be black. This is how you talk. This is what black people do. This, that, and the third. So it's both something that has been an intrinsic part of my whole life is blackness and finding out about my own blackness. And at the same time, something that I think at a pretty early age I became aware was a construct that uh, can also be a trap. Um, how does it come out in the music? I hope all of those are things that I talk about and that come out in the music and are, you know, at the front of the conversation. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a real, it's, it's a trick question. I think, I mean, I've been black my whole life. My mama black, my daddy black, my grandma black. <laughs> Go to the South every summer. I didn't, I knew I was black, but I didn't really know I was black until meeting, going to school with white kids for the first time, like 12 years old, 13 mm -hmm. years old, when my family moved to Long Island. And now I'm measuring my blackness and against whiteness. Mm. What does that mean? How does that feel? Um, but yeah, it's in there. <laughs> I don't really don't know another way to answer that or even to like, uh, to put into the music. Uh, my music is full of, my mother should just take, I should just give her, you know, co-writing credits, like half my rhymes are what my mother would tell me. Mm. You know, things her mother would tell her. Places we've been. The black church figures. The black church, history. of course. My being raised in the black church, like it's another's sort of expression of American blackness. You know, it's all, it's all in there. How I present on stage. You know, I think about preachers that I've that I've seen, or you know, uh, yeah. It always, it's always, uh, it's factored in. Whether I don't really think about it, actually, I don't. I don't think about my blackness as I'm making music. But from what I've gotten, when we, in places we've been, like when we play Idaho, remember the, mm. the shorty came out and she's like this biracial girl. She was expressing, oh my God, Idaho never gets to experience this sort of frequency of blackness. I never, mm. I love it. Oh my God. You know, she's telling me all these things that, you know, reinforce her blackness, right? As a biracial person in Idaho in college. Um, so when people, when people, are able to draw from what we or I like create, what we put out there that reinforce, you know, that's, that's tight. That's tight. But yeah, I don't really think about blackness as I'm, as I'm creating my music. Uh, maybe if I don't know, there's songs that may have dealt with issues like the cash bail system or then, yeah, sure. It's more explicit, right? We're, we're more affected by the cash bail system, you know, the injustice of the cash. So, sure, and, and when I think about specific songs, maybe, yeah, but in general, no, it's just a, a total expression or try, attempt at a, a total expression of self, my, my black ass self, you know? Guys, and it's complex, too, I think. Oh, oh I was just <laughs> going to say it's complex, too, because sometimes you go and you, uh, and, and, you know, performing and seeing how you may react to who the audience is, mm. you know, and situations mm. where yeah, you're yeah, on yeah. tour, oh, it's all of a sudden a totally white crowd. All, all white crowd, so I might not, I'm not going to say nigga. I'm going to self-censor myself Will you right censor? Now. You sure. might. You might sure. not, you know. Um, sure. Or, Wait, do you censor yourself? I have self-censored on tour. Really? When I, uh, the song called Black Sunlight, right? Like, I wrote this song, and the first line of my smile, niggas. But I'm, ta I'm talking to black people in this song, right? Like, the song's called Black Sun. It's about like black joy. It's about achieving, finding joy in the midst of not, you know, all the chaos or whatever. Uh, so in front of a white audience, it just feels 
awkward as fuck. Like I smile, nigga. No, no. I'm just gonna say smile. And then I'll we pause have, and then we keep the song rolling. You know what I mean? I have self-censored. And then we had other situations, like we got hired when we were in Chicago to do this this gig at Soho House. And I was like, what's this gonna be like? Right. I was like that was strange. If it's just us rhyming in front of a room of white people in a private club, I'm gonna feel weird. Yeah. We get there and actually this Soho House had a lot of people of color in it. Sure. Um, but they were equally nonplussed and confused by what was happening. And the we people who came running up to us after the show yeah. was like this blonde, blue-eyed woman yes. Yes. and her boyfriend who yes. live in New York and were like, we came here, we were coming to Chicago anyway, and so we changed our schedule so that we could come to Soho House and see you perform here. Right. Right. And then, gosh, she's like, he's my boyfriend's the biggest fan, please, da 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 and there was like a table full of black people right in front of us who were very politely like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let, us know, it, let us know when this is over. You know, but very politely, it was no bad thing. So yeah. it's yeah. levels to it. It's America. Thanks so much to Woods and Elucid for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment, and we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick... Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.